Father God, we love you. We, we thank you for the way that you love us. It can be a little overwhelming at times. We acknowledge that you are here in this place because you love us, because you want to be here, because you enjoy our worship. We ask that now, as we open up your word, your living, inspired, infallible word, that you would teach us that the Holy Spirit that indwells every believer in this room might illuminate your word and teach us and encourage us and change us. We pray that you would be pleased, Lord, with all that takes place. May this not just be an, a ritualistic act, but it be a life-changing experience. For your glory is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, um, I, uh, I am not lost on the fact that each Sunday that I stand before you and share from God's word and teach and that there's a lot of people that are in the room that are going through a difficult time. That there's a lot of people who are experiencing suffering in their lives. And that suffering uh, is very, very real. And I don't ever, ever want to minimize your experience in this area, your experience of suffering, your experience of pain, of hurt, of grief, of loss, whatever it is that you might be going through. And we have people going through all different kinds of suffering in their lives. I know that there are those who are experiencing suffering in the area of relationships, and maybe it's relationships within the home. Uh, maybe it's relationships of uh, friends that you have, uh, children that are grown and gone. But relationships can be a source of great great suffering in our lives, of great pain and, a, a, and, and of great hurt. Some of you are experiencing suffering in the area of physical needs. Maybe somebody you know that has a physical need, somebody that you love dearly that has a great physical need. Maybe that's something that you're going through yourself in your life. There's a physical need, uh, some disease. Maybe it's the, the prognosis is, is not very good. There's emotional suffering that takes place as well. There's, there's loneliness, there's, there's depression, there's a, a sense of un unworthiness. There's all kind of emotional suffering that takes place. There's spiritual suffering that happens in our lives as well, as many of us struggle with maybe a particular sin in our lives, and we feel like that that sin is getting victory over our lives, and it's causing us pain, and it's causing hurt in, in our lives. Temptation is another area that that we experience suffering in. I want you to know that I'm not lost on the fact that this room is full of people who are going through a difficult time. I'm not lost on the fact that if you're not going through a difficult time right now, you have no idea what tomorrow holds. You don't have any idea what next week, next month, next year holds. But I can tell you this, that suffering is a reality in the lives of every believer that it is a reality in the life of every believer. The good news for us this morning is that God's word addresses this very specifically. That it gives us specific truths that we can apply to our life, that we can stand firm on in this area of suffering. It, it, it addresses it directly. We look this morning from the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, as far as we know, is Paul's fourth letter to the church at Corinth. The first letter that's in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians, uh, mentions a letter that he had written previously. 2 Corinthians mentions a letter that he had written between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So he may have written more. It was a church that was very close to him. He, he loved this church, but it was a church that had gone through some extremely difficult times. 
Paul, 2,000 years ago, had gone to the city of Corinth, the Apostle Paul, had gone there and he had talked about Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and many people came to faith in Jesus and he planted a church in Corinth. He was there for a year and a half and he taught them and discipled them and grew them and he left. And after he left, the church began to have some very, very difficult times, some suffering in their lives. There was a lot of disunity in the church. There were some real, real struggles in the church. This letter, the second letter to the Corinthians, addresses a lot of that. And we want to look at different parts of 2 Corinthians today and see if we can learn how we might deal with this area in our lives. When we talk about suffering, we also want to talk about comfort. This is a letter of comfort that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. In this book alone, comfort is used 29 times to give you a little bit of perspective The word comfort is used about the same number of times in all of the rest of the New Testament. So this is an area that Paul wants to address. 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, and the first seven verses is what we'll read together this morning. Verses 3 through 7 will be on the screen, but I do want to read the first two verses, which is really just a formal greeting that that, uh, Paul makes to begin this letter to the church at Corinth. Let's read that together. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all of the saints who are in the whole of Archaea. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we begin in verse 3. When, when Paul uses the word our, O-U-R, our, he's talking about himself and Timothy, who are, they're kind of co-writers on this letter. As we read these next five verses, I want you to kind of just make a note of how often he uses words like suffering or affliction or synonyms to those words, and how often he uses the word comfort as well. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. Now, my first reading of that passage, I thought to myself, that's a bit over the top. Comfort, I'm going to comfort you with comfort. I'm going, to, I'm going to share comfort with you. Comfort and comfort and comfort and comfort. And I, and I thought, what, what else are you going to comfort me with other than, than comfort? But Paul has a point in all of that. And, and what we want to try and get today from this, this idea of God involved in our suffering is really just some truths that we can apply to our lives in the midst of suffering, in the times of suffering, that can be a foundation or a rock that we can stand on. That we can look back on that time and see how God was not only involved, but what God accomplished in lives, my life and other lives, as a result of this experience. The first thing that I want us to be sure and understand is that God is sovereign over all suffering. It's good news, believers, that we have a God who is sovereign. It's good news that our lives aren't a life of chance. Things don't just happen. We're not subject to fate, but we have a God, a God who is real, a God who is alive, a God who is merciful, a God who is full of grace, a God who is full of forgiveness, and a God who has all power and all authority In his hands, he is a sovereign and provident God. He is in control of all things, and he is in control even of our suffering. Now, it's important to note, as as we talk about God's sovereignty, 
that suffering comes from different sources. And that one of those sources is sin. And so I'll just make a, 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 a kind of a, a blanket statement. Sin always leads to suffering. Sin always leads to suffering. You might find some satisfaction in it for a time. But you're not going to find satisfaction in it for all time. And for those here this morning who are just, you're, you're, you're absolutely, you, you know, you, you, there's a lifestyle that you have and you just refuse to turn loose of it. I want to tell you, if it involves sin, if it involves this, this path that you've laid out for yourself, it's a path that you have chosen and it's not God's chosen path for you, it will end in suffering. The Bible says ultimately that sin ends in death. And so I would, I would appeal to you this morning, those, those believers who, who have this sin they refuse to let go of, and, and those who don't know Christ as their Savior, I would appeal to you, let today be the day you get that right with God. Let today be the day that, that, that you meet this God of the universe, this God of mercy, this God of grace, this God of love, this God of forgiveness, this God of, of all power. Let today be the day that you, that you come to him, that you submit to him, that you give your heart and your life to him. I say that because it's important that you, that, that, that you understand that Suffering comes from different sources. This letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth is not about suffering that is a result of sin. It's about suffering that comes out of pursuing God. Now, that's hard for us sometimes. I don't want you to get the impression that coming to Christ and entering into relationship with Christ and following Christ and pursuing Christ and serving Christ frees you from suffering. This letter is talking to a group of people and Paul is talking out of his own suffering because of his pursuit of Christ. Because of his following God. Paul knew that God was sovereign even over his suffering, that God was in control even over his suffering. I look back at, at some of Paul's missionary journeys that are in the book of Acts where he was traveling around and he was planning all of these churches. In Acts chapter 14, this is, what, this is something that Paul used to tell all new believers Here's the words he used. Through many tribulations, you enter the kingdom of God. Suffering is a reality for the Christian. It's not because of God's displeasure. Sometimes the Bible teaches us, and this is very difficult for us, it's for God's pleasure. That he would, that he would allow, the Bible uses the word ordain or approve certain sufferings in our life. Not because of his displeasure, but because of his pleasure. And he is in control. That means he always has a plan, that he always has a purpose. There's always a reason why. It's good to know that there is a God, a good God, a merciful God who is in control. As I thought about God's sovereignty over our suffering, I thought of, of, a, of something that happened in, that Paul records in 2 Corinthians in the 12th chapter, y'all, some of you will be familiar with this. The beginning of that chapter, Paul talks about an experience he had with God where God reveals certain truths to him. It's a new and fresh revelation from God to the Apostle Paul, and it was such an overwhelming truth and had such an incredible impact on his life that Paul was actually afraid that he was going to be boastful about it, that he wouldn't be able to receive this kind of revelation humbly, in verse 7 of chapter 12, he says, Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, he is strong. Paul is serving God. Paul has a, 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 an area of suffering in his life, a thorn of the flesh. We're not sure what that thorn of the flesh is. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's spiritual. I don't know. But how in the world did he get that? Who gave that to him? Who gave him a thorn in the flesh? Satan is mentioned in this passage of Scripture, but was Satan the one in charge? Was Satan the one who could take it away? Was Satan the one that Paul goes to and says, please, take this from me? No, he didn't go to Satan. Why? Because Satan has no power, no control over Paul's suffering. God is sovereign. God is in charge. God has all power. And so Paul goes to God and he says, remove this from me. And you know what God's answer was? No. I think of Jesus. Jesus said, remove this from me. Right? What did the Father say? No. See, suffering can be a reality in the believer's life who is pursuing God. Now look, there, there tends to be, or there has been, or there is, in our culture, especially in our country, this theology that if you love God and you're following God, if your faith is strong, if your faith is big enough, then you can expect good health and good wealth and prosperity. And it's rampant in our culture and in our society. I read this. I'm not going to tell you who said this. Most of you probably know. For some of you, it's your favorite TV preacher. He said to his congregation, I know some of you here struggle with Alzheimer's. Maybe Alzheimer's runs in your family genes, but I don't want you to succumb to it. Instead, say every day, my mind is alert. I have clarity of thought. I have a good memory. Every cell in my body is increasing and getting healthier. Raise up, he told his congregation. Raise up in your authority. Start boldly declaring, God is restoring health unto me. I'm getting better every day and in every way. That's bunk. That's not true. You don't, you don't heal yourself. God is the one who is sovereign. God is the one who is in control. God is the one you go to. God is the one that you surrender to. Sometimes we say, and look, it's okay, just like Paul said. Sometimes we go, God, please. This, pain, this is painful. This hurts. This is no fun. Remove this from me. Change my circumstances. And sometimes our sovereign and all-powerful God has a bigger plan than what we have. And it's not about changing my circumstances. I know this, that when the believer goes through times of suffering, when God allows that, even ordains that in our lives, I know that Satan intends suffering to sabotage us. What I mean by that is to sabotage our faith, is to begin to get us to question, is to begin to get us to doubt. There are people in this room right now who are going through a very, very difficult time, and it's all you can do. Maybe you've already arrived there, but you're trying your best not to say, where is God in all of this? The preacher says he's a loving God and a caring God and a kind God and an involved God. Where is he in my mess? This hurts so much. And Satan wants to use this to sabotage your faith. He wants to use it to... To, to bring you to a place that you're losing hope in God. He wants to steal your pleasure in God. 
But there's another side of it. Satan always intends to sabotage, but God ordains suffering to sanctify us. That is to say, to change us, to make us more like Christ. He ordains, approves, allows suffering to sanctify us. The Bible says that in all things, he's working those things together for our good. That can only be true if he's a sovereign God. That can only be true if he has control. And so Paul begins to share with us how God involves himself in our suffering in this this passage of Scripture. He lets us know that God is in control, that he's all-powerful. And then he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. He wants us to know in sharing that with us that God is not only sovereign in our suffering, but he's also familiar with our suffering. This idea that God would become a man, the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ, and that he would be 100% God, yet 100% human, and that he would live as a 100% human being, and that he would experience all that we have experienced. He would experience the good, and he would experience the bad. That he's a close God, that while we think of his sovereignty, don't allow his sovereignty to make you think that he's a God that's way out there somewhere, that he's not connected, he's just up there in the, in the big universe, and he's just kind of orchestrating things. No, he's a God who's close. He's close enough that he would even become a man and that he would live a life like we have lived a life so that he could experience the very things that we have experienced so that he could share in that with us so that he could identify in that with us he's familiar with your suffering you hurting are you hurting he's hurt before he knows what it's like you broken He's been broken. You feel betrayed. He was betrayed. Grief. Yeah. He experienced grief. Lonely. He knows that. He's experienced that. They took our Lord and they threw these harsh accusations at him and they called him a liar and they pulled his beard and they slapped his face and they spit in his face and they scourged him. They hung him on a cross. He knows suffering. And it was our Lord who said, Father, if there be any way, take this from me. But he withstood that. He is familiar. He knows what it's like to cry, God, My God, why? He's not only familiar, but he is a God who is a source of all compassion. I love this passage of Scripture. The God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. He is the Father of mercy. He's also the Father who is sufficient for all comfort. The Father of mercies and the God, it says, of all comfort. He is sufficient. The word comfort means to come alongside and to help. That's what it literally means. That's why in the Gospel of John, chapters 14, 15, and 16, when we we begin to be taught about the Holy Spirit, one of the names that the Holy Spirit is given is comforter, the one who comes alongside and helps the paraclete, the comforter. That's what the word comfort means. No one else. He says he is the God of all comfort, of all comfort, it says. In verse 4, who comforts us in all affliction. No one can comfort you like God can comfort you. No one can provide what he provides. There's no situation in your life that you have ever experienced or ever will experience that is beyond God's comfort. His comfort always outweighs your suffering. That is a truth. That's not a hope so, maybe so, pray so. That's a truth. He is the God of all comfort, and He is sufficient. 
verses 8 and 9. We didn't read these verses, but it says here, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction, the suffering we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, we despaired of life itself. We were waiting to die. We wanted to die. It was that bad. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who is sufficient, who is the God of all comfort, who raises the dead, and He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will continue to to deliver us. And it goes on and it says, on Him we have set our hope. On Him, because He is sufficient. Listen. Understanding and experiencing the sufficiency of God in your life is a cornerstone. It's a foundation that we need to build our lives on. God is sufficient. But if we... How can we see and experience the the sufficiency of God if everything is always great? If everything is always good? It's in in the midst of pain and hurt and trial and suffering that we experience the comfort of God. Okay, so here's this pattern. You got to get this and and then we're going to... It's it's so much more than this. Suffering's a reality in the life of the believer. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is not unaware. As a matter of fact, God is familiar with your suffering. And, and, And God is merciful. And he is the God of compassion. And he is sufficient. He is sufficient to provide you all comfort. And his comfort is always greater than our suffering. Now, that's not where it ends. There's more to it than that, though that has a pretty good beginning and a pretty good ending. But the reality is this, is is that when we experience suffering, and from that suffering we experience God's comfort, it's because because he is sufficient, it's because God wants to do more in and through our lives because we are to be a conduit of God's comfort to other people. We are a conduit of God's comfort. We're to be a conduit. We we are comforted, listen, we are comforted for other people's sake. Verse 4, here's what it says. He comforts us in all our affliction so that... So that, because, purpose, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. An amazing, incredible truth. Why does he comfort us? So that we can share with others. His comfort that we experience is so that we can pass that comfort on to others. Listen, that's a radical thought in our culture because we want to be really self-centered in our suffering. <laughs> we want to be really self-centered in, a, in our comfort. We, we have this mentality that this is all about me and God. And listen, it is about you and God, but there's so much more than that. The picture's bigger than that. We ask ourselves the question when we're going through suffering, those who have some maturity in their relationship with the Lord, they'll ask themselves a question. They'll go, you know, God's trying to teach me something. God, what are you trying to teach me? I want to learn what you're trying to teach me so I can get, so, so, so it'll be, uh, so, so this suffering will be over. Well, wow, what if the purpose was not about you? What if what God was teaching you was not so you would learn, but so that you would be able to teach someone else? What if God is bringing comfort about in your life so that you can be a comfort to somebody else? I mean, he says right there in 2 Corinthians that the reason that he brings us comfort is so that we can be a comfort to other people. It's not just about us. What if we, what if we believe this, that, that God is our sufficiency for comfort, that God provides us comfort 
not so we can be comfortable, but so we can be comfortors. That's what he means when he says we share in our suffering and we, we share in our comfort. It's not just about what is God teaching me in this time of suffering, but maybe it's I wonder what he wants me to teach others through my experience of suffering. God, God comforts us so that we can be a conduit of his love and of his comfort that we might show the love of Christ to each other in the church. Folks, I want to tell you, this is what church, this is certainly a part of what church is supposed to be about. And I, I, I said, look, I'm, I'm not lost on the fact that there's a room full of people who are going through a difficult time, a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. But I can tell you this, there's not one person in this room, there's not one person in this room who God intends to experience suffering by yourself. As a matter of fact, it's part of his blueprint, it's part of his plan that we share in that together. And when we share in your suffering, we also share in your comfort. And we see it throughout Scripture. I want to take the time this morning to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And Paul is reminding the church at Corinth about something that had happened in the past. It says, for when we came into Macedonia, Paul and his and the missionaries, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without fear and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by, by sending us Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, church at Corinth. As he told us of your longing and your mourning and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. So here's Paul, and he's in a time of difficulty, in a time of suffering. And Titus comes to be a comfort to Paul. And as he comforts Paul, Paul tells Titus that Titus ought to go to Corinth and comfort the church at Corinth. And so Titus goes to Corinth, except what happens is the church at Corinth comforts Titus, who returns to Paul to comfort Paul. Well, that's what it's supposed to look like. That's, that's church. I could use examples of people who have gone through difficult, difficult times in our church. We have, we have several who have experienced cancer in our church. I, I think of Carmen Dunn, Rich Dunn's wife, who, who experienced cancer. You know what she loves to do more than anything else? Minister to people who have cancer. She just loves doing that, sharing in the suffering so that they can share together in the comfort. Nancy Rodriguez, she's, she's like that. Just send me somebody who has need. I just want to be, I just want to spend time with them. I want to share in their suffering. I want us to share in their comfort. It's what we're supposed to be about as a church. He comforts us so that we might be a conduit, so that we might show the love of Christ to others in the church but not just the church, but so that we might spread the love of Christ to others in the world. Have you ever thought about what it means that people would see Jesus in your life? He comforts us that we might be the love of Christ to others. In 2 Corinthians 4, in chapter, uh, chapter 4 and verse 7, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay, Paul's writing, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He is sovereign. We are afflicted in every way. Here's Paul's life. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus, get this, so the life of Jesus may also be manifest to our bodies. That's what it means for people to see Jesus in you. The life of Jesus is manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. You know why Paul was persecuted, struck down, always carrying in, in, in his body the death of Jesus? 
because he was a man who was pursuing God, because he was a man who was pursuing the mission, because he was a man who was obedient to God, because he had made a commitment that he was going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. And it is because of that. It's not because he was sitting at home watching TV. It's not because he had this this idea that that Christianity is this casual thing, something that I can slip in at the beginning of the week and then live my life any way that I want to. It's because he was sacrificing. It was because he was loving. It was because he was sharing. It's because he had this passion for sharing the gospel of Christ with the world. Verses 13 and 15 of that, that same chapter, I mean, the last, verse, the last words of these two verses, it says, for it is all for your sake, all this persecution, all, all, all this, this um, discomfort, it's for your sake, he says, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. My suffering, it's for the sake of the gospel. It's, for, it's that more and more people would come to faith. And when you think about it, it's consistent. I mean, how has God most clearly shown his character and his love to this world? It was through a suffering servant, through the sacrifice of his son on a cross. How's God going to show Jesus to the world today? I can tell you this, and you have to agree with me. It's not through health, wealth, and prosperity. That won't show a picture of Jesus to the world. That doesn't look anything like Jesus to the world. And by the way, I don't think the world's impressed with that. Well, what would get their attention? I believe when Christians give up all that they are, all that they have to serve God, and then they rejoice in that, the world takes note of that. When we suffer from every kind of trial and we're able to say, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, They take notice of that. That's weird. But that's why Paul, that's what he's talking about when he's talked about sharing and suffering and sharing in your comfort. Look, this is just foundational. That if you're a believer, suffering's a reality in your life. Uh, a case could be made, I've not done a study on it, but a case could be made that, man, I mean, the more you give up for him, the more you're likely to suffer. (laughs) But it's a reality. But God is sovereign. God is in control. God has a purpose. God has a plan. And he's a God of great compassion And he is a God who is sufficient to comfort us. His comfort will always be greater than the suffering. And so we get to experience his comfort, but not for ourselves. We get to experience his comfort because he wants us to share that with the church. And he wants us to spread that to the world. So, you know, I I begin studying for this and I think to myself, I think, God, is it possible that we could grow in our Christian experience, our Christian faith, our relationship with you? We could grow to a place of maturity such that we would embrace suffering, that we would rejoice in suffering? It sounds impossible. It sounds crazy. And yet... In Scripture, we see it's part of his blueprint. And so that when we begin to take on this perspective, this biblical perspective, this God perspective on suffering, then we can begin to embrace it. Let me end with just one more Scripture. 
Here's the last three verses of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. I love this. So here's how Paul ends. Don't lose heart. So don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they pass away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. All, here's what Paul says, all suffering for the Christian is light and temporary. And then he lies right next to that, and it's real important that he does. The coming glory for the Christian is vast and eternal. And without understanding what awaits the believer, the things that are unseen, the things that don't pass away, unless we understand that, then we can't understand that our suffering is light and temporary. So he sets those beside each other. Where are you at on this? Where are you at? I tell you, look, you know, um, I'm, I'm trying to allow the Holy Spirit to change me in this. But, man, for the longest time, it was about my circumstances. If I was hurting, if I was in pain, if I was suffering, I would say, God, change my circumstances. Make this better. But studying God's Word wants me to go to a place where I go, you know what, it's, it's, it's more than about me. It's about what He wants to accomplish. It's about you. My suffering, it's about you. My suffering is about people who are in this community who desperately need to know a God who is merciful, who is familiar, who is all-sufficient, who forgives, who gives eternal life. They need to know that. And maybe my suffering is about that. A different perspective. We're going to build on this in the weeks to come. I want to invite you to stand. You're here this morning, and maybe you've kept your difficulty, your trial, your suffering to yourself. Don't do that. I want you to have a freedom today. Share that with somebody. You can share it with me. You can share it with me as Arthur leads us in a song if you want. Maybe somebody needs to pray with you. You'd like for somebody to pray with you. Just let us know that. We want to share in your suffering. So that we can all share together in the comfort. Why, Paul says? To the glory of God. To the glory of God. Be obedient. Lord Jesus, as we get ready to kind of close out our time of worship, we began by saying, you know, don't let this be some ritualistic thing. Let it be a time of change our lives give us clarity on how you might want to do that give us boldness to be obedient we want to be more like you because we want people to see you in our lives have your will and way in every heart and life Arthur you lead us if you would Thou
about 60 seconds, maybe 120. Uh, and then we're going to dismiss. Um, I, I, I wanted to make you aware uh, of an opportunity. Um, we, we call it Love in Action here at Avalon Church. It's an opportunity to, um, to minister to, to care about people who live in our community. Uh, three or four weeks ago, we had a day where we went to Big Oaks Mobile Home Park about 60 of us, and we just spent four or five hours there uh, sharing uh, a cookout and a barbecue and, and uh, offering food and offering prayers and offering fellowship and offering friendship to the residents there at Big Oaks. And while we were there, we began asking them, hey, would you like it if we brought you a Thanksgiving meal for, for Thanksgiving? And we got a long list of people that said we would love that. Many of them said, you know what, we wouldn't have a Thanksgiving meal unless you did something like that. So we have begun preparing and putting together these Thanksgiving meals, but we wanted to invite you to be a part of delivering them. One family will deliver one meal to one family. And if you would like to be a part of that, I want you to pay close attention to this very short video. It's 60 seconds long, I promise. This, uh, and it'll give you a little bit of instruction and then, and then we'll wrap up, okay? Show this video, Vic, if you would. I remember a time when we organized an event to deliver gifts to families in need. Specifically, I remember driving up to a trailer park and having our boys walk up the stairs with us and go and meet a mom and her children. The impact it had on them when they saw the inside of the trailer park, there was a huge hole in the trailer and it went all the way down to the floor. And when they saw that, we ended up delivering the gifts and we talked to the mom a little bit, got back in the car. And both of our boys, the comments that we made is, Mommy, did you notice that they had a huge hole in their floor? Yeah, Mommy, did you notice that there was no Christmas tree? I think it was a big eye-opener for them when they could actually go out and help somebody in need and see that there are people in the world that are the same as us. They just live in different places and different circumstances. But ultimately, that by them being able to go out and help, it broadens their perspective of the world around them. So I'm really excited in the next few weeks we're going to be able to go and deliver meals to Big Oaks Trailer Park where we did our event a few weeks ago. We're going to be able to be the hands and feet of Christ in our local community here. We're going to be there delivering the meals, talking to the families, and with all the children that we met that were there. All right, great, great opportunity. If you think your family might be interested in doing that, we only have a limited number of, of um, spaces, then, then uh, Jennifer and Mauricio will be in the lobby this morning at the missions table. Let me share something with you real quick. I got a text from Jennifer last night. She and her family had done ministry in Jamaica, in Haiti. Yeah. Um, several years ago where they met a family there and. Mauricio and Jennifer had adopted a little boy there. And um, what I, when I say that, I mean they had agreed to build a relationship with this little boy and support him. And they talk on the phone a lot. And he, she sends them gifts. And, uh, well, she found out last night that the home of this little boy was overcome by floods. The roof caved in and killed five people in the house, including their little boy. That's hard. That's hard. And when you get a real life situation like that and you, you 
you go to apply this scripture to it, it's hard. But either God is real or he's not. Either what he says is true or it's not. Either, either he is sufficient or he's not. Either his comfort is greater than our trial and our suffering or it's not. Well, I've given my life. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm not stupid, though. After I look at this and research this, I believe God is real. And I believe what he says is true. So when you see them in the lobby this morning, give Jennifer, I don't even know if Jennifer's here. She's not going to be here this morning. We'll give Mauricio a hug to give to Jennifer. And uh, I'd appreciate that. Hey, uh, let me invite you to stand. As you're standing, don't... um, Go ahead. Don't forget about um, our 18 to 25 group. They're outside right now getting everything ready for you. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a chilly uh, meal, and it's to support our, our millennials for going to Atlanta uh, early in 2017. Over 35 of our kids are going. It's an amazing, amazing thing. You don't have to like chili to stay. Stay for the fellowship. That will be worth it. You don't, uh, you don't have to eat chili to donate. You can donate without eating chili. However you want to do that, accommodate that, we, we would really appreciate it. I'll look forward to spending a little time with you. So, Thanksgiving meals delivered, chili in the back. I love you, church. Oh, listen, I want to thank John Malloy and Ryan Seipler for filling, for, for, for filling this pulpit in the last two weeks while I was gone. And... Um, Uh, a lot of great, great feedback on the great job that they did. John and Ryan, I love you guys. Thank you all so much for your willingness to, to serve. Um, I'm going to ask Arthur if he would uh, maybe close us in prayer, and then uh, he can send us out with the song. I love you, church, and I'll see you in a little bit. <laughs>